Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. In Joshua 5, there's an interesting story. After the Israelites had been in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years, they crossed over to the Jordan and they were in the plains of Jericho. They were, they were about to finally enter into the promised land that God had offered them. And God instructed them to do something pretty interesting. He had all the males uh, required to be circumcised. And so there, in the presence of their enemies, on the, the eve of battle, they were circumcised. And this was part of the covenant that God had instructed the Israelites to have, which I'll get into more in this podcast. But here's what's interesting. After they obeyed God, the Bible says that their reproach, the reproach of Egypt, was rolled away from them. In other words, the shame, the disgrace of their past, of their slavery. They'd always been looked down upon. They'd always been nomads. And here they were, finally, with that shame, that reproach rolled away from them. At that very point in time, they celebrated the Passover. And that's what happens in our lives. When God begins to cut away the things in our lives that needs to be cut away, cut away we begin to celebrate And it also says there in Joshua 5 that that very day they began to eat the produce of the land. You can begin to enjoy the abundance of God when he begins to cut away things in your life that you could have only dreamed of getting rid of anyways. Let's let's end this Sunday with something equally as good about the goodness of God and uh, entitle this message, a circumcised heart and the goodness of God. You th- those two things don't <laughs> it probably don't seem to go together, but I want to time in because they do. They have everything to do with one another. Everything to do with one another. Let's look at Joshua chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. This is one of those messages where we're going to be jumping around a lot. So if you have your Bible or if you're on your, your phone, get your thumb ready. Get your hand ready to be flipping around a lot. Uh, I always encourage you to pick up one of our sheets at the back so that you can know what to read throughout the week. If you're if you're uh, kind of in a fog and you don't know what to read, hey, we got you covered with either our text or these sheets that we hand out. But in Joshua ver- uh, chapter 5, verses 2 through 12, the Lord is talking to Joshua. And picture this. This is, this is so cool. I've been doing this visually. Um, Do you guys know across Fort Bliss, the mountain range, not the one that we're close to, but the one that's across the kind of the valley, if you're in the northeast looking, I don't know which way that is, east, east, you know that mountain range, and do you know that one mountain that kind of peaks out over all the rest of the mountains? I don't know what that's called, but if you look east, there's a mountain that's, that's high there, that mountain is a little bit farther than Moses was from Mount Nebo when he looked over the uh, the promised land where God told Moses, hey, said, he said, you can't go into the promised land, but I want you to look over it. He was that clo- He was actually closer than that mountain. If you're driving towards Dell City up that drive, up Montana, and you get up that mountain, you can look and you can see El Paso as clear as day. You can see it. Moses was closer than that. He could literally physically see Jericho from where he was standing. 
Amazing. And sprawling all over to the left. If you were standing up on Mount Nebo looking down, sprawling all over to the left was the Dead Sea. It was huge. You could see it was massive. You could see the Jordan River. Well, check this out. Joshua had already taken the children of Israel across Jordan. He was in the plains of Jericho. Jericho was right there. He could see it. All right. And here's what God told him to do. <laughs> As he's sitting right there in Joshua 5 verse 2 it says at that time God said to Joshua make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again so it so so Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites adults have you <laughs> painful um, now this is why he did so and I'm not going to read all of these scriptures but essentially what had happened is the men who were circumcised at that time, their forefathers, their fathers had died off in, in the desert and they hadn't kept this, the covenant of circumcision. All right, we're going to talk a little bit more about this to get some clarity. So there was this whole generation of men who had not done what God had told them to do. All right. And so. Here, before battle, before Jericho, in the backyard of their enemy, God told them to circumcise themselves, which would mean they needed some healing time. <laughs> it wasn't, they were putting themselves at risk, put it that way. All right, so it explains here in verses 4 through 8 why this was and who this was. But then in verse 9 of Joshua 5, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today... I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Today, you have entered back into covenant with me, and I've rolled away the stigma of Egypt. Now, if any of us are you know, of Afro-American descent, there, there's, sometimes there's a sense of stigma and, and there shouldn't be. We're in a country that should be embracing. There should be no, no, any kind of divisions whatsoever. But there, the people have a stigma of slavery. That's how these. That's how these Israelites felt. They had a stigma of slavery about them that made them feel less than who they really were. And you know what? As human beings, every single one of us has experienced this reproach, has experienced this sense of, I'm not good enough. I don't measure up to everyone else. And you know what? God wants to roll that away from your life. You might feel that way because of your age. You might feel that way because of a disability. You might feel that way because of your ethnicity. You might feel that way because of something that's happened to you. God wants to roll away your reproach. But it happens with circumcision of the heart. We're going to talk about that in just a second. So he says, today, because you have obeyed me in, in the covenant of circumcision, I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt. So the place was called Gilgal, and it's called Gilgal to this day. Now, in Hebrew, the word Gilgal sounds like roll, to roll away. So they, they had this, this uh, memory based on the name of that place. On the evening, now I'm in verse 10, on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal in the plains of Jericho, <clears throat> the Israelites celebrated the Passover. So listen to this. 
you enter into covenant with God. He rolls away the reproach of, of your slavery, of your past, of all the things that you've gone through. All of a sudden, you feel like you're a human being again. And what do you do? You celebrate. You celebrate. Why? Because you are joyful finally. Finally, there's no more stigma over you. There's no cloud over you. There's no wet blanket over you. You celebrate. <clears throat> On that day, after the Passover, that very day, I'm in verse 11 now, they ate some of the produce of the land. All of a sudden, you're finally in your promised land and the abundance of Canaan starts coming to you and you start eating the things that you only dreamed you can eat of. Am I talking about physical food? Well, maybe so, but maybe there's something even better than that. I don't know. The blessings of God start flowing in your life like never before, like you'd only dreamed of. They started eating of the produce of Canaan, and that day the manna that had been falling from heaven every day, it stopped. And the last statement of this verse says, and they ate from the produce of Canaan that year. In fact, I want to point this out. That year they ate from the produce of Canaan. When God starts blessing you, he's not going to stop blessing you. They ate for a day, and then they ate for two days, three days, four days, five days. You know what? You can get used to the blessings of God flowing in your life. You can get used to it. Where does it start, though? It starts with circumcision of your heart. It starts with circumcision of your heart. Let's look a little bit more deep, deep, or a little <laughs> deeper. I keep saying that, more deeper. Um, let's look a little deeper into looking at Genesis 17, verses 9 through 14. Genesis 17, verses 9 through 14. Then God said to Abraham, see, circumcision was given to Abraham and his descendants as a covenant. But let's read through these verses. God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. These Israelites that we were talking about with Joshua, they were the descendants of Abraham. They were to have kept the covenant of circumcision through their generation. Verse 10 of Genesis 17. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you must be circumcised. You are to, listen to this word, undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between you and me. For the generation to, uh, for generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born into your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not of your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, you must be circumcised. Listen to this. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who's not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, let's look at this. Before you, you know, we, we tend to think of things so physically, we're going to get to the spiritual aspect of this in just a second. But let's look at this covenant that God made with Abraham. First of all, this was an unbreakable agreement. God wants to make an unbreakable agreement with you. He does 99.99% of the side of the agreement, but you have your part to play. You have your part to play, and that's why God loves faithfulness. Your faithfulness is your side of the covenant with God, is staying faithful to God. Tina and I were married 27 years ago, all right? 
we have an unbreakable covenant unless I go out and cheat on her. My unfaithfulness could break our covenant. Guess what? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that to my wife. I'm not going to do that to my family. I'm not going to do that to my God. I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm going to be faithful to my wife, to my family. You know what? Faithfulness goes a long, long, long ways with God. Long ways with God. But this, this was an unbreakable agreement. Abraham's part, he had a part in the covenant. When God reaches out his hand to shake your hand, you need to reach your hand out to shake his hand in a firm covenant with God that's unbreakable. All right, here's the, uh, here's the third thing I'd like to point out. These, these men were to undergo circumcision, undergo, and we're going to get into this at length. What, what this means is it, you, you undergo, listen to this, you undergo surgery. Do you perform surgery on yourself? No, you undergo it. You go to a surgeon and you go under anesthesia and he does the surgery. God's circumcision of your heart that we're going to be talking about, he does it to you and does it for you. You don't do it to yourself. You don't have to walk, go walk on your knees and bloody your knees for 10 miles to prove something to God that you have circumcised your heart. No, he does it to you and he does it for you. You undergo it. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, though. It was a sign. Listen to this. The circumcision was simply a sign of covenant, a sign that these these men and women were separated as unto the Lord. Now, look at this. I have a ring on my finger. You know what this ring is a sign of? It's a covenant of marriage to Tina. We're married in this sign. I don't go whenever I go into an airport and slip off my ring so nobody thinks I'm married. No, I want the world to know that I'm married to my wife. All right? When your heart is circumcised to the Lord, it's a sign you belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus and you want the whole world to know so that there's no temptation that you might walk away from God your sign there's a sign of of covenant with God and God's covenant lastly was in the flesh and we're going to get to this in just a second it was into the flesh and so is the circumcision of your heart it's in the flesh as as we'll describe a little bit more so is circumcision still important to the Christian life today yes in a spiritual sense Yes, in a spiritual sense. And so let me, the rest of our message today is just going to be surrounding this spiritual aspect of circumcision, the circumcision of the heart. Let's look at Romans 2, verses 28 through 29, and look at what the Apostle Paul says. A person, this is Romans 2, 28 through 29, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew. In other words, a person is a descendant from Abraham in a spiritual sense. Did you know that if you have faith in Jesus, you are a spiritual descendant of Abraham? That's what the Bible says. I'm not making this up. The Bible says that in, in essence, you're a Jew, you're a son or a daughter of God. In other words, if... You're one inwardly, the circumcision that's a circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. Wow. So God wants to get into your heart, and he wants to cut away 
those things in you that trip you up. He wants to cut it away. He does it. You don't do it. Now, you cooperate with him through repentance, as you'll see, but God does the incision in your heart to cut away the ugliness, the misery, the addiction, the the negativity, all the things that trip you up. God literally cuts that out of your life and takes it and throws it away so that you never have to deal with it again. So he says, uh, a circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. You undergo it. You don't do it to yourself. The Holy Spirit does it for you, not by the written code. In other words, don't get in the Bible and start making it a bunch of rules and regulations that you can't keep. You can't do everything that's in the Bible on your own strength. Only the Holy Spirit in you can help you so it's not by the written code such a person's praise is not from other people it comes from god philippians 3 3 here's another scripture on this spiritual this aspect of spiritual circumcision that we're talking about this morning for it is not we who are the circumcision in other words those jew the the jewish belief that it had to be a physical thing and that's what made them righteous or separated unto god It is we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Jesus Christ, and who have put no confidence in the flesh. Stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in God. Stop looking at what you've done or haven't done or failed to do or did do and say, Jesus, I put my flesh aside and I say, God, it's what you've done for me on my behalf. The, the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, when Jesus said it is done, he meant it is done. He has done it for you. You don't have to prove anything else to God. All we have to do from here on out is just cooperate with God. Just walk with God. Listen to God. Obey God. But he's done all the work for us. Colossians 2.11, just one more scripture here about this concept of, of the spiritual circumcision. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Praise God. So that's what we're talking about today is an act of God in your life. An act of God performed by God Almighty. And so whenever you, whenever this happens for you, the reproach of the slavery of your past life is rolled away when Jesus circumcises our heart. And I, if I can just give you as a personal testimony, Jesus has been doing this in my life just in recent weeks. Just in recent weeks slicing off the flesh in my heart, the hardness of my heart, putting it to the side. And you know what I've been realizing lately? I can praise God like I've never praised him before. I can keep my mind on him finally. I'm such a distracted person. I'm worse than ADD. My mind runs off on this thing and that thing and this pursuit, and I want to do this and I want to accomplish this. And God has taken all of that out of my mind, and I can focus on God like I've never been able to focus on Him before. And God showed me these verses. He says, Here's what I'm doing for you, Steve. And guess what? I don't want to just do it for you, I want to do it for everybody. I want to do it for everybody. So what is this word reproach that we were talking about? You know, the reproach of Egypt is pulled away. Well, again, in Webster's 1828, if you get online, look that up. Use that as your dictionary. Webster's 1828, you will have such rich word studies if you, if you use this. But here in, this, uh, in Webster's 1828, 
It's, it's to charge with fault. If you are reproached, it's to charge with fault. So you could be at work and your boss is, uh, what's the word? I'm going into Spanish here. Te está culpando. He's, he's blaming you or she's blaming you for this thing, for that thing, for the other thing. That's reproach. When you feel like you're under being blamed for something. You did wrong. You did wrong. The enemy does that to you all the time. He blames you. He, bl- he condemns you. He, give, he tries to reproach you, all right? With severe language, it's to treat with scorn and contempt, all right? Here's, a, here's an inferred antonym. <laughs> you know what an antonym is. It's the opposite, right? It's to repel as victors. It's to say, you're never going to win. You're always going to be a loser. You're never going to amount to anything in your life. That's what reproach tells you. Is Jesus telling you that? No. He's rolling the reproach away from you, off of you, as you cooperate with him, as he does spiritual surgery on your heart and makes you the godly man, woman, boy, child, whatever it is. He's rolling the reproach away from you. Here's another thought about reproach. It's abusive. Here's, and I wrote this down. Abusive reflections. All right? Fouled mouth reproach. You blankety blank idiot. You loser. You know, it's, it's horrible condemnation that I guarantee you all of us have either heard spiritually or we've heard from someone in person. Maybe as a child, there was an abusive reproach on you. It scarred you. It hurt you. All right, God wants to deafen your ears to that voice so you don't hear it anymore. He wants to make you immune to that shame, to that disgrace. So again, Joshua 5, 9, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And even as I speak, I believe God's doing that in your life. He's rolling the reproach of Egypt away from you. Let me just give you one really quick example, and we'll look a little deeper at this concept of reproach and shame. But in Genesis 30, verse 23, there was this lady named Rachel. She was married to Jacob, and she couldn't have children. So this is something that maybe you as a woman can identify if you've ever gone through this before. Maybe you know of a woman who's gone through this. She couldn't have children. She felt shame as a result of it. She felt shame. But God gave her a child. She became pregnant, gave birth to a son, and she said, God has taken away my disgrace. Amen? God has taken away my disgrace. Think about that. God has taken away your disgrace. Why do you wallow in it anymore? It's gone. Through Jesus, your disgrace is gone. So why think about it anymore? When, um, when Israel entered back into covenant with God by being circumcised, these men, they're going back to Jericho, the reproach of their slavery was rolled away and they entered into the abundant goodness of God. God's goodness is there. Just go into it, but let God do the spiritual surgery that he needs to do in your life. Let him cooperate with Jesus as he's surgically removing the junk from your life. That's what happens is our flesh, (laughs) the bad part of us, is so integral into our being, it's hard to separate. So God has to take his, his, uh, what do you call that surgical tool? Scalpel, that's right. Scalpel, and he starts cutting away 
without injuring you. He starts cutting away the things. And we're going to talk about how he does that in just a second. But look at a couple of these scriptures about shame here. Isaiah 54, verse 4, it says, Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You won't be humiliated. I will forgive the shame of your youth. I will remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. Isn't that awesome? You're not going to be intimidated. You're not going to be put down. Praise the Lord. Isaiah 50, 45, verse 17 says but israel will be saved by the lord who is israel that's you and me we're the spiritual children of abraham israel will be saved with an everlasting salvation let me tell you what you are saved eternally you are saved eternally don't you dare think that someone is going to snatch you out of god's hands you are saved with an eternal salvation Praise God. It says, you will never be put to shame or disgrace for ages everlasting. I think one of the greatest fears of a human being is shame. I'm going to end up on the street. I'm going to lose it all. I'm going to, this thing is going to happen to me. I'm going to lose this. I'm going to, and we fear shame. God says, don't worry. If you're a Christian, you're never going to be shamed. You're never going to be disgraced. Isaiah 50 verse 7 because the Lord God helps me, I, will have, I, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. When the enemy starts whispering to you, oh, you're going to fail. You're, you're going to mess up. You're not going to amount to anything. Set your face like flint and say, I am not going to be put to shame. I'm not going to be put to shame. Now, I'll give you this one, Zephaniah 3.10. This is bless me beyond all imagination. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. I'm going to read 11 first, okay? And then I'll show you. We'll come back to verse 10. It says, on that day, Jerusalem will not be put to shame. On that day, Israel will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me. All right, we have all done wrong to God, but there is coming a day when you will not be shamed for the wrongs that you've done. The devil say, you did it. You say, I know I did it, but it says on this day, I will not be put to shame. The question is, which day is that? Well, let's go back to verse 10 and I'll tell you which day that is. It says, from beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people will bring me offerings. Which day will you stop being shamed? The day you start worshiping the Lord. The day when you God is everything to you and nothing in this world could compare to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you start living as a worshiper of the Lord, valuing him above everything else, you will not be put to shame. You will not be put to shame. So let's put Jesus on the throne of our lives and say he means everything to me because on that day I will not be put to shame. So stop trying to save yourself. Stop trying to help yourself. Stop trying to worship and treasure other things than God. On that day, <laughs> your shame and your reproach will be removed and you will enter into God's promised land and begin to eat the abundance of his goodness. The abundance of his goodness. So I pray God circumcise my heart god go ahead take out your wonderful scalpel and he has something better than anesthesia you won't even feel it and you'll be so glad that part of you is gone you'll be jumping up and down there's no recovery period with spiritual surgery 
you are made whole instantly when God gets his spiritual scalpel out and starts cutting back the things in your life. Here's what you need to do. Let God do it. Don't resist him when he's trying to cut something out of your life. You say, well, that's just my personality. Well, guess what? Our personalities are sinful. Well, that's how I've always done it. Well, guess what? There's a new day. Let's start doing things differently. Well, that's just how I think. Well, we need to start thinking differently. Amen? Well, that's just something that always trips me up, and that's how I do things. Well, you need to stop doing that thing. Cooperate with God and let him cut these things out of your life. Well, I'm a warrior by nature. God says, stop worrying. Well, I'm negative by nature. Stop being negative in the name of Jesus. When God tells you to do something, he's empowering you to stop doing it. He doesn't just tell you to not do it and then say, here, you're on your own. No, he helps you fulfill whatever it is that he's telling you to do. All right, so here's the tactic that the enemy uses, all right? He uses self-focus uh, instead of God-focus. Any, anybody that's in a tailspin, the number one thing they're doing is they're thinking about themselves. That's the number one thing that's happening. When you're in a downward tailspin, depressed, worried, negative, falling into addiction, whatever that is, whatever your deal is, we all have it, I guarantee you the number one thing that's going on is you're thinking about yourself. You're self-absorbed, self-focused. But this, this is what an uncircumcised heart looks like. It's a selfish person, a self-centered person. And that's what God wants to cut out of your heart. Listen to some of these examples. Negativity, self-centered. Negativity is just self-centeredness. When you look at yourself, you're bound to be negative. But when you get your vision turned around, you start looking at Jesus you can only look at one thing at a time, by the way. When you look at your, you're looking at Jesus, you're not looking at yourself. Your negativity evaporates. It's gone. It just, it just vanishes. All right? Depression. I know there's clinical depression. Please don't get me wrong. This is, this is not to be condemning in any way. But most depression is not clinical depression. <laughs> so let's not use that as an example or an excuse. Depression is simply self-centeredness. I know because I've dealt with it myself. As soon as I get my eyes off myself and on my Jesus, Jesus, my depression is gone. He's cutting away that self-centeredness in my life. Greed is self-centered. Fear and worry is simply self-centeredness. When you're fearful, you're just looking at your own resources, what you can't do, what's going to happen to you. You turn your eyes off of yourself, you won't be fearful at all. You'll be hopeful positive optimistic an obsessive compulsive person is simply self-centered they're just and i know this because i'm obsessive compulsive all right i'm just looking at myself and thinking i've got to do this over and over and over and over again i've got to do this and i turn my look to jesus and he says no you don't have to do that over and over again you can stop right now and just have peace stop striving and know that i'm god an overwhelmed person self-centered a perfectionist person self-centered somebody who's always getting their feelings hurt and you have to walk on eggshells around them because you're worried you're going to hurt their feelings guess what their problem is they're self-centered and god wants to circumcise their heart so that self-centeredness is taken away somebody who's controlling and manipulative they're self-centered god wants to cut that out of their hearts so we need to undergo the spiritual removal of these things so that we can be free. 
because whom the Son sets free is free indeed, is free absolutely, positively, and our means of cooperation with God is simply a repentant life. St. Jesus, I repent of my self-centeredness, and he gets that scalpel off and cuts a little bit more out of you and cuts a little bit more out of you, and let me tell you, it's a wonderful process. Well, let's look at Romans 8. Just a couple more scriptures here. Romans 8, it says, Those who live according to the flesh, that self-centeredness, have their minds set on fleshly desires. Always wondering what, you know, what people think or take. You know what? You've you got to be careful with whose advice you take. If you're always taking someone else's advice, you need to compare it to what the Word of God says. If it lines up with the Word of God, then go ahead and take that advice. But just because someone is a certified this or certified that, if they're giving you poor advice, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them, all right? Listen to Jesus. They have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God, does not submit to God's love, nor can it do so. You ask yourself sometimes, why can't I just submit to God? Why can't I just obey God? It's because you and I, were living in the flesh. We need that circumcised heart so that we can begin to live by God's Spirit. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. How many of you have the Spirit of God living in you? Well, I'll tell you what, if you've invited the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, you have the Spirit of God living in you. You are in the realm of the Spirit. Now let God excise that stuff out of you, excise that stuff out of you, and get free. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ, but you do. For if you're living according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live if by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, you will live. Does it say if you put to the misdeeds of the flesh, or does it say if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh? Stop trying so hard and let God do his work in you. He's going to do it for you. All right, so let him do it for you. So what process, don't worry, we're not too far from being done here. All right, what process is used for Christ to circumcise our hearts? What process is used? Well, here we go. Some of it is a little bit painful, but if we'll cooperate with him, we get there quickly. It doesn't have to take a lifetime. Those poor Israelites, they were wandering around in the desert trying to get from point A, Egypt, to point B, Canaan. Do you know how long of a walk that was? Well, it took them 40 years, but do you know how long of a walk that is? If you and I struck out with proper equipment and had our provisions with us, it took 11 days. Do you want... Do you want <laughs> to take 40 years to get to where God wants you to go? No. I want to get there ASAP, right? ASAP, as soon as possible. I want to do it now if possible. You don't have to take a lifetime to get to your promised land. You don't have to. So just cooperate with God. But let's look at how does God circumcise our hearts? Here in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, and 10, this is going to apply to every single one of us. 
says, um, therefore, in order to keep me, this is the Apostle Paul, from be, becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to relieve me of this, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power can rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. There's five things there. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What does God use to slice those things out of your heart? Your heart? Well, the thorns in the flesh. How many of you have some thorns in the flesh? <laughs> Don't tell me who they are. Some of those thorns are actual people that poke and prod us day in and day out. Some of, some of us have thorns in the flesh that are situations that poke and prod us all day long and annoy us and, and they're just a nuisance, they're painful. Some of us have mental battles, struggles in our minds. That's the thorn of the flesh. And you know what? cooperate with Jesus because he's trying to cut something out of you I remember having a person I've mentioned this before that I, I described to myself and in prayer to the Lord once a sandpaper every time I got around this person nobody here nobody that you know it was like sandpaper on a wound over and over and over again I said God this person's like sandpaper on a wound over and over again can you please take this person out of my life and God showed me, I'm trying to get something out of your life through this sandpaper. And you know what? As soon as I realized what was going on, it stopped hurting. <laughs> because I realized God is doing, he's trying to take something out of me. So cooperate. Instead of resisting the situation, the people, the person, hating what's going on, say, okay, Jesus, I get it now. I see what you're doing. You're trying to cut something out of my life. And God, here it is. Cut it out. <laughs> Don't cut it out. You know what I mean. But cut it out. Get it out of my life so that I can be free. That's how God cuts things out of our life is through the thorns of the flesh. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, though, the Apostle Paul reminds us in an encouraging fashion. He says, these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs it all. So in some ways, it's good to get out of the moment, of the pain of the moment, see the big picture and say, aha, I see what's going on and it's worth it. It's worth it. This sickness that I'm going through, it's worth it. This marital issue that I'm having, it's worth it. This brain struggle that I have day in and day out, it's worth it. This, this loved one that's struggling that I stress out over, it's worth it. God is achieving for me uh, what does it say? A eternal glory. Praise God. All right, so stop trying to use your own strength to beat your own weakness. You can't do it, but God can. His power is what you need. His grace is all you need. Praise God. So the storms of life, the thorns in the flesh, the intense struggles reveal in us incredible weakness, inadequacy, and necessary death to fleshly self so that we can enter into that realm of the spirit and enter into the wonderful grace that God has for us.
God has wonderful grace. He wants, he needs to circumcise our hearts though. And he's doing it. Even now as we speak, he's circumcising your heart. The quickest beeline though is to just cooperate with God. So we need to, here's, and, and I'm almost done here, end with this. We need to identify what fleshly attributes are feeding our storms. What's feeding your stress? What's feeding your worry? What's feeding your struggles? And you know what? Through the enlightenment of the Spirit is, let's put that thing to death. Let's get rid of it. God, put it to death. Here it is. I repent of this. I offer it to you. Remember last week how we said we need to get out of our boat? Let's get out of that boat and start walking with Jesus. Let's leave that old flesh behind. Let's put it to death. Let's let Jesus put it to death. So here's, here's some ideas of, of things that might be tripping you up, that flesh that needs to be taken out of your life. If you are a manipulative person, you like to pull strings and get this person to do that, and you pull this string and you get that person to do this, and you have a, a network, a web of manipulation, you need to repent of that. And you need to start trusting in the Lord to take care of your needs instead of trying to get people to do the things that you want them to do. Hey, that's, that's, uh, that's something that God is trying to circumcise in your heart and get out of your heart. He doesn't want you to be that way. That's ungodly to be that way, is to manip manipulate people. Here's another one, is always planning, planning your future instead of just listening to the Holy Spirit and let him guide you to your future. Stop being such a planner. I think it's all right to plan. I plan. I plan my day. I plan my week. I plan my year. But you know, it's a very loose plan. I'm going to let God do whatever he needs to do to get me to wherever I need to go. All right? So maybe a planning, overly planning person needs to let go of that and let God take that excessiveness out of their, excessive planning out of their lives. Um, Self-condemnation or self-justification instead of just receiving God's gift of righteousness. All right? A self-justifying person says, I'm okay because I did this, this, and this. I'm an okay person. Well, that's bad <laughs> because you're only a good person because Jesus did something for you, not because you did it for yourself. Or a self-condemning person is someone who's always putting themselves down. That's not good either. Jesus has you covered. So just receive God's gift of righteousness. Uh, if you're one who likes to control your environment, you're a control freak. How many control freaks do we have? All right. <laughs> By nature, humans are control freaks. Most of us, we control our environments. We need to let the Lord Jesus Christ just be the Lord of our lives. Let him be the controlling factor in our lives instead of trying to control everything. Or maybe you're one who just constantly stares at your problem and reminds or reminds yourself of your failure over and over and over again. God doesn't want you to do that. Let him cut that out of your life. Amen. And instead, pay attention to Jesus's greatness instead of your shortcoming, your shortcomings or your shortfalls. Or someone who's uh, always thinking about uh, about what, uh, excuse me, thinking, someone who's, oh, it, here it is, I'm sorry, I spaced it. Someone who's always thinking someone's out to get you. And I've been this way, I'll never forget. <laughs> I was uh, 
at a place in my work, this was several years ago, and I thought I was going to get fired. And that thought grew and grew and grew until one Friday I was sure I was going to get fired. I was sure. I was, you could have talked, you know how sure I was? I was already packing up my office. Literally. I walked by somebody in the hall and I thought they looked at me kind of weird and I thought, "Mm, there it is. It's going to happen. The IT director, he's already cut off my internet access. I immediately got on my computer to see, make sure, no, I still had access. Friday, 3 o'clock came, I was bracing myself. 4 o'clock came, I was bracing myself. 5 o'clock came, nothing happened. I looked at my box that I'd already packed up, and I thought, well, maybe I wasted my time here. No one was going to fire me. It wasn't even close. you got to be careful. If you think people are out to get you, let Jesus be your defender. Let Jesus be def- Don't give in to paranoia. Don't give in to delusions. Trust the Lord. He's got you covered. Let him defend you. All right? Being critical of people, always looking down on people. Oh, I've struggled with this one too. Thank God I'm not, don't think I'm looking down on you now because God has freed me of this one. But always picking out the nitpicks. You, he, yeah, look at this. He's wrong here and she's wrong there. And she, look at that. That is ridiculous. Being critical of people. Instead, throw yourself into God's love. Throw, know how much you are loved and you'll start, you'll stop critiquing people and criticizing people in your mind. And here's another one. I'll give you the last one. But comparing yourself to others instead of just being happy with who God created you to be. God wants to cut that comparative spirit out of you so that you never compare yourself to another human being your entire life. All of these things are examples of fleshy things that feed feed things in our life that we just need cut out of us. Just cut out of us. Praise God. So here's what you do repent of these things if i've said one of these things and you say oh that's me i'm not gonna raise my hand but inside i'm raising my hand saying that's me spend some time this week repenting of this saying jesus i cooperate with you let's go to surgery i repent of this cut it out of my life i'm done with it i don't want to be walking around in the desert 40 years i want to get there in 11 days i want to get there in less than a week and a half Jesus, you and me, we can get there and be done, done, finished, ready to go on to the next thing, on to the next opportunity or challenge that I have in my life. Let me read this scripture to end. Second Colossians, second Colossians, Colossians chapter two, verses 11 through 13 says, in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Don't get this picture of something you got to do. The only part you play is repentance. That's the only thing you've got to do, and it takes 30 seconds flat. I repent, Lord. I turn away from my flesh toward you. That's repentance. I turn away from myself towards you that's repentance you do that you're cooperating with god having been buried with him with jesus in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of god listen to that faith in the working of god not in the faith of your works 
and the faithful working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He has forgiven all your sins. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus. Lord, we don't ask that you start surgery. You've already started it. We just didn't realize it. <laughs> you are already working in our lives. We didn't know that you were. We thought that that thorn in the flesh, that storm of life, that struggle in our mind, we thought that was something bad when in reality you're trying to make it something good for us. Lord, you're using that thorn. You're using that storm. You're using that struggle to cut that thing out of our life that needs to be cut out. What is that thing? At the end of the day, it's self-centeredness. That's what it is. It's pure self-centeredness. Always about me. Always about what I've gone through. Always about my hurts. Always about my pain. Always about my past. Always about what I don't have. Lord Jesus, help us to repent of this. Help us to repent of this. Lord, it's doing us no good. It's actually burying us, Lord, when we need to be soaring with wings as eagles. So, Lord, this week, only the Holy Spirit can do this. Lord, I can't do it. We can't do it. But your Holy Spirit can enlighten us, can give us revelation of what in our life it is that we're clinging to that we really need to get rid of, that you really need to cut out of us, Lord. So, Lord Jesus, we spend some, some time, just a minute right now, Lord, taking mental inventory of those things that we need that you've been trying to get rid of in us and we just need to start cooperating with, with you on.